Hi, welcome to Living Water Bible Fellowship's audio sermons. It's our prayer and hope that you'll be encouraged and uplifted by the preaching of God's Word. Stick around after the message to hear more about how to contact us. We continue our sermon series in the book of Jonah. I want to bring you up to speed if you haven't been here in a few weeks. The last few weeks we've been opening the Bible, looking at the book of Jonah. What, is, what could a, an ancient book say to us? What could an ancient prophet say to us? One, a prophet who failed, a prophet who rebelled against God, a prophet who rejected God. What could he minister to us, the Word of God? Uh, to us in, in, in this day and age. Uh, I guess I'd sum up the last few weeks as, as this, a statement, a summary statement. Uh, to live well is to live with God. To live well is to live with God. To, to live a well-lived life is to walk uh, with God, to be a part of God, to, to be close to God. We've seen the last few weeks as Jonah departed from God, as Jonah rebelled against God, as Jonah left God, his life went down, down, down. To live a a well-lived life is to live with God, to walk with God. And so we come here this morning, and, and that's a great question at the beginning of this fall, beginning of school, beginning of new journeys, uh, new, new schedules, new routines, new rhythms. Are we walking with God? Are we in the presence of God as a part of our day-to-day life? Are we in God's life, in His way? Are we aligned with God or not? Please open your Bibles to the book of Jonah, chapter 3. Let's pick up what's, uh, what's happening in this narrative, this story, this historical account of Jonah in his life. Jonah chapter 3, verse 1. And we had the exciting uh, action scene last week of the whale vomiting Jonah on the, on the shore. Wasn't that neat, the visualization of that? Getting barfed up by a whale? Man. That, that'll uh, uh, change your perspective on life, change your uh, uh, way you look at life, way you live your life. But Jonah chapter 3, verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh Nineveh, believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he rose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published it through Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent 
and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they had did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Praise God. So Jonah gets a second chance. Maybe you're here this morning, and uh, maybe, really, you need a second chance. <laughs> and that's okay. Our God is a God of grace, a God of compassion, a God of mercy. He's a God who keeps inviting. He's a God who keeps pursuing. He's a God who keeps calling. Maybe your journey has been one that's taking you far from God, far away from the center of God's will, far away from being with God and living with God and, and worshiping God with your life. Maybe God, the last few months, has been the last thing in your mind. We hear uh, in the God, th this message from Jonah, this, this story, this, this historical account of Jonah, is, is, is Jonah met God at the place farthest that you could be from God, Sheol, the place of death, the grave. God in His grace met Jonah at His lowest, lowest point. He'd rebelled, he'd run away, he'd gone far astray, and yet God was there at his moment of need. When Jonah cried out to God, God responded and saved his life. So last week we looked at the last part of the psalm, and Jonah's praising God. He's thanking God, he's rejoicing at God's salvation, and yet Jonah still hasn't repented. Jonah still hasn't turned back to God fully. Jonah is still, in some ways, not walking with God, not living in God's presence, not living the life that God would have him live. But nevertheless, uh, the word of God came to Jonah a second time. Arise, go to Nineveh. God uses the same words, just as chapter 1, the first call, the same words. Arise and go to Nineveh. God's grace is, is amazing. His, his patience is incredible. Jonah, the greatest rebel prophet in the Bible. God doesn't chastise him. God doesn't beat him up. God doesn't um, make him feel ashamed. He just calls him again. The same words, arise and go to Nineveh. Let's, let's do this. Jonah goes. Jonah obeys. Jonah says yes to God. Uh, <clears throat> you think that going with God would be an easy thing. You think perhaps that God, uh, walking with God, that choosing to go with God, to, to obey God, to follow God's path would be easy. Um, <clears throat> that it would be reasonable. Uh, to go with God, uh, it can be a lot of things, but oftentimes it's not reasonable. What, is, what does God uh, speak to us? Uh, how does Jesus speak to us? How does God uh, speak to us and call us into his life, into his, his world, his, his vision? Uh, Jesus said to those who gathered around him one day, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, pick up his cross, and follow me. Uh, pick up your instrument of death, your instrument of torture, your instrument of wrath, and follow me. Uh, not very reasonable, oftentimes. Jonah's call is not what we uh, maybe would sign up for in a, in a, in a, in a job uh, advertisement. Uh, not, not, not necessarily the best uh, future vocation. Go to Nineveh. Go to Nineveh, the people that uh, hate you. Go to Nineveh, to the people that are known for their violence and their murder and their slaughter 
in their wicked ways. People that worship these gods of, of, of evil, these gods of hatred and murder and taking of life. Go to these people, and, and you just as a man, go, go the 900 miles on the trade route. Have you ever walked 900 miles before? I don't think that would be an easy de deal, do you? 900 miles with thieves and bandits? I mean, how do you even pack for that? How do you plan for that? Go to Nineveh. God, you said go, and I'm going to go, Lord. So he goes. And uh, Ninevites, who, who, who's going to preach to the Ninevites? And what, what is Jonah's message? God said, tell them what I tell you to say. Tell them what I tell you to say. He, compared to the chapter 1, this one's much more specific. My word only. And the, what he's told to tell them to say, Jonah's word to the Ninevites is, 40 days, 40 days more, and you're going to be blown up. 40 days more, and you're going to be overthrown. 40 days more. <clears throat> you're dead. How do you think that message is going to be received normally? Some Yahoo prophet that, you know, you can imagine after his three, three days and three nights in the whale, his clothes are looking a little ragged. Still got a little whale barf on his hem of his garment. <laughs> right? He stinks. He, he's, you know, who is this guy? Uh, traditionally, uh, there, there's been some thought that maybe the gastric juices in the stomach have bleached Jonah a little bit. So his hair's bleached, maybe his skin's bleached, his clothes are bleached. And, and so he's walking. He comes into Nineveh, and it's, a, it's the, the district of Nineveh, 60, 80 miles across. The city itself, the walls, the interior of the walls is about eight miles. So uh, the, he comes to this huge district, and, and he's strutting, and he's walking. And, and, and we don't know the three days to see Nineveh, uh, as it says here. It's a great city, three days journey and breath. Is that three days of the district? Is that three days of the city? Well, uh, some people have thought maybe it's one day into the center of the city, one day to do ministry, one day to walk out of the center of the city. That seems reasonable to me. But he's going in there, and he goes, he goes seemingly alone. And he goes to preach a message that they're not going to like. Who is this Hebrew? Who is this man from nowhere? preaching to us. See, right now they're the superpower of the world. They're, they're the, you know, Nineveh is the Washington, D.C. of the world, the capital of the world. The king of Nineveh lives, the king of Assyria lives there. And he comes preaching. <clears throat> you know, the, uh, the big problem that you and I have and the big problem that the world has is that uh, whether it's Nineveh, whether it's people in Nahara or Antonito or so watch is, uh, our big problem is, is not our lack of happiness, our, our lack of uh, psychological comfort, our, our lack of, our big problem isn't, you know, in this country at least, most of the time, food. Our big problem isn't this or that. Our, our big problem is we're sinners in the presence of an almighty God who will pour out his wrath against sin. Our, our big problem, and Nineveh's problem they had, you know, they were a superpower. They had all kinds of resources. They they had all kinds of money and all kinds of wealth. Um, and then, and Jonah comes in and, and he brings he brings to light their problem. He brings to light their evil before God. Remember in chapter one, go to Nineveh and preach because their wickedness has come up before me. Yahweh said, 
their wickedness has come up before me and go and, and preach to them. And, and so Jonah arises a, a real problem that you and I have as sinners. We are living in the presence of a perfect God who is holy, holy, holy. And He's a God who will bring justice. He's a God who will judge every sin. His very character, His very being is a hatred towards sin. Is a hatred towards evil. Is a hatred towards wrong. And we do wrong again and again and again. We choose evil again and again and again. Uh, sometimes, man, sometimes living in our culture, there's good in our culture, there's good things in our culture. People treat each other with respect oftentimes. We honor, you know, we take care of people. There's heroes in our culture, you know, the, the pothole, when the gal fell in the pothole, her friends came and picked her up. There's good things in our culture. And yet, man, you, you start getting into this culture today, it seems like God is the last things on people's minds. God's ways and God's holiness and, and, God's, and God's desires for how to live much of our culture doesn't give God the time of day and they're, they're living in self-indulgence. You know, you know, the problem with us is we, 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 it's not the things that come in the outside, really. It's the things that come from the heart. Out of the heart arrives evil thoughts, thefts, sexual immoralities, adulteries, greed. Out of the heart comes evil actions. Out of the heart comes pride, and foolishness, foolishness, envy, slander, out of the heart arises wickedness, and we can't help it oftentimes. And Jonah goes and tells them that they're going to die for their wickedness. They're going to be overthrown for their wickedness. Man, we, their problem is our problem, and the world's problem is sinners in the hands of an angry God. Anger against sin and evil and wickedness. And yet, Jonah is sent because God would choose mercy over justice. He's going to be just. He's going to judge sin. There's no ifs, ands, or buts. But God's heart is for the Ninevites to repent. God's heart is for the Ninevites to turn. Why would he send the message if he didn't want them to respond to it? Why would he send the warning if he didn't want them to turn? Why would he call out to them? Why would he call out to them with a warning if he didn't care for them? So our big problem is God's hatred of sin, but the grace that is coming through this book is that God keeps moving towards sinners to bring them back to himself. So he goes and he preaches and he... he uh, you don't know, you know, the way it says it, it almost looks like he called out, yeah, 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Did he walk into the center of the city? And he's like, 40 days, Nineveh's overthrown. Boom, I'm out. Was it a mic drop moment? Just once? Like, is he so stubborn? Or did he just keep preaching again and again and again? Did he say that all day long? Did he say that for three days? 40 days and then it will be overturned. I, I don't know. I, I wish I had more information here. But did you see what happened in verse 5? The people of Nineveh 
believe God. Back in the day, uh, the different nations, they were used to prophets. They were used to men uh, being spokesmen for God, proclaiming the word of God. And, and so when they heard Nineveh, somehow, somehow, the whole city turned. The, the, whole, the whole community turned. They believed God. And, and what happened when they believed God? The people of Nineveh, verse 5, they called for a fast and put on sackcloth, from the greatest of them to the least of them. What, what's sackcloth? Sackcloth was the clothing of slaves. Sackcloth was the clothing that uh, the, the lowest of the low wore. It's very coarse, usually made of goat hair, itchy, scratchy, very cheap though. So the, the slave owners would give their, their, their workers, their slaves, sackcloth. And so everybody... The, all the people, they, they, why would they put on sackcloth, though? What's the point? It's, it's a position of humility. It's, it's, a, it's an outward display of, of humility and, and grief. It was a traditional display, both for the Hebrews and the surrounding nations. They, they, they put on sackcloth, but more than that, they called for a fast. No more food. Again, an outward display. Uh, they're, trying to, they're trying to talk to God we're sorry. Uh, repentance starts with uh, a sorrow for sin. Repentance starts with, with a, a grief for sin. God has called them out uh, for their evil and their wickedness in just, just one sentence. And now they're responding. Maybe that's where you need to be today. Maybe you're going astray from God Maybe it was innocent. Maybe you just found yourself far away from God, but maybe you chose the path. Maybe you chose to be far from God as you are today. Maybe you've rebelled against God. Maybe you've hated God. Maybe you've said, God, get out of my life. And your problem is, is that you stand before a God who will judge sin. And your biggest problem is a God whose wrath will be satisfied. Will you turn back to God? Will you repent? It starts with this picture of sorrow, this picture of grief. But the remarkable thing is the, the word reached the king of Nineveh, verse 6. And he arose from his throne. Uh, so the king, right, the, the, the biggest superpower of the day, bigger than Egypt, bigger than Babylon, bigger than the other surrounding nations, they, 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 you know, everything is at his disposal. He gets up from his throne, he removed his robe, he covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. Now, this, imagine uh, the, the most important person or the person in the world who thinks they're most important in our world today. Imagine them undressing in a public way, putting on sackcloth like a slave and then sitting down in ashes in a, and putting ashes on their head in a public way that everybody can see. A great act of humility. A great act of turning. A great act of, oh God, I'm sorry. Uh, you and I deal with God. In Him we live and move and have our being. We cannot leave the presence of God. We can never leave the presence of God. God is always in, in Sheol, in the highest heaven. God there, therein is. And He's looking for your heart. It's not the legalistic kind of a turning. It's, it's a, a brokenness. It starts with this shame and this sorrow and this... Uh, this grief before God. But look at, look at where it goes next. And he issued a proclamation and published it through Nineveh. 
By the degree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. So the animals are fasting too. Interesting. The animals and the people, they're not eating or drinking. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. The, the people are ahead of the king here. They're already doing that. Uh, but calling out to God. Earnest prayer. Incessant prayer. A, a prayer that keeps going up. As you're putting on your sackcloth, as you're not eating, you're, you're calling on God to, to please avert your wrath. Please turn away. He, the king is saying, let's as a nation, let's as a people in unity cry out to God. And the biggest part of repentance is actually a shift in behavior. It's one thing to have a godly sorrow. It's one thing to have a a brokenness and like, you, you've been there when you've sinned and you've, you've hurt somebody and, and you feel so guilty, unless you're a sociopath or something like that, you feel so shameful and so upset about things. It's one thing to have a, a sorrow, but is it really repentance if you keep doing it? A real repentance is a, is a shift, a turn in behavior. And so the king calls on the people to not just pray, not just do an outward show of grief and sorrow. He said, let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Uh, the city was known for its violence towards outsiders, especially from their evil way. And the king, dramatically the leader of the evil people and the violent people, <laughs> the self-centered people, the greedy people, he says, let us all turn away from our evil ways and our violence. Wow. I don't think there's ever been a preacher in history who's had a greater uh, response with one sentence. Uh, there's so many applications here. It's in so many ways to go here. The Word of God is powerful. The Word of God is mighty. As you share the Word of God with your family or your friends, as you share the Gospel by sharing the Word of God, God's Spirit convicts people of sin. God's Spirit moves in people's lives. The Word of God is powerful and it's transformative because the Holy Spirit moves in people's lives to convict of sin and call them to turn. He uses His Word to do that. But here, the, 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 the wild thing... I, I just, man, did God obviously went ahead of Jonah in some way because you know the back, the back of the story, right? You know what, what's happening with Jonah. He doesn't want him to repent. Because remember we talked the first week how there was maybe some trauma in his life by the Assyrians' hands, how the Assyrians' wickedness had touched Israel. And the reason why he ran, because he didn't want them to meet the grace of God. He didn't want them to know the mercy of God. He didn't want them to repent. He wanted them to blow up. And so this is just... Astounding how God uses His words in spite of His prophets sometimes. His word will not come back void. Because it's His word, not our words. And so the preacher's fancy words, the, the speaker's fancy words, psh, when the Spirit of God moves in people's lives, uh, there's fruit. There's change, there's transformation. But who knows, the king says... <laughs> God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. Uh, repentance is no guarantee. Their repentance is no guarantee that God's going to have mercy. God doesn't have to have mercy on anybody. God doesn't have to forgive anybody. God doesn't have to keep the hammer from falling just by us going through certain 
rituals or routines or going to a priest or doing something like that. God doesn't have to withhold his judgment, but he wants to. He wants to forgive. He wants to restore. He wants to reconcile people to himself. And he does. When God saw what they did, now this is interesting, the verses, uh, you might not be able to see it, but uh, in, in the end of verse 8, it says, let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. And, and so when God saw, verse 10, what they did, how they turned from their evil way, in verse 9, uh, the, the king says, who knows, God may relent and turn from his fierce anger. It says, so, so how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them. So there's a great parallelism there. The, the, there's so many of these throughout the text. It's a masterwork of literature. Uh, some of your translations say God repented, which is an easy, interesting trans, translation. God repented of the disaster that he said he would do. When the people repented, God repented. Now, that's, that's really interesting. Our, our understanding of repentance usually has just one small, one small kind of a picture. Uh, repentance in our terminology oftentimes just means turning from sin. But there's a bigger understanding of repentance, a change of heart. Okay? Sometimes we want to go down a certain way and we repent of that. We have a change of heart, a change of attitude, a change of spirit. Uh, this troublesome people that God would relent when he said he would judge, because some people say that maybe they went to a systematic theology class or something like that, uh, that uh, God is immutable. God does not change. We see in uh, James chapter 1, verse 17, the Father of lights does not change. Malachi 3, 6, I, the Lord, do not change. And yet here we see God changing his plans. Uh, God, this is not uh, anything that's uh, kind of scary or, or crazy or, or out of alignment with God. I, I tell you that God, His character never changes. His attributes never change. Who He is never changes, but certainly He will respond to people's repentance. He'll respond, if you've been far away from God, if you've been living a sinful, broken life, God will respond to your repentance, your change, your turn. Uh, if you look at Jeremiah, if you want to turn to Jeremiah chapter 18, this is a, what's happening in Jonah is a fulfillment of prophecy given by the prophet Jeremiah. Um, well, actually, Jeremiah is a little bit after, but this theme is, is uh, so it's not a, a direct prophecy from Jeremiah to Jonah because Jeremiah comes after Jonah chronologically in time. But the theme is, is in the scripture. So Jeremiah chapter 18, verse 7 about repentance and turning, about God changing his mind about bringing wrath. If at any time, chapter 18, verse 7, if at any time I declared concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will pluck up and break down and destroy it, and if that nation concerning which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent of the disaster that I have intended to do. And I, I think in some translations, I will repent of the disaster that I intended to do. And if at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will build and plant it, and if it does evil in my sight, not listening to my voice, then I will relent of the good that I had intended to do it. So it's not that God is changing. God doesn't change. But the situation changes. If you are marching down a road of wickedness and evil, if you're choosing to live a self-centered life, a self-focused life, a self-indulgent life, a pride-filled life, it's all about you. 
The, if you're a Christian, God's discipline will come against you. God's discipline expressed in his love, he's always moving forward redemptively. Right? He wants to change you. His discipline will come against you if you're living outside of God's will right now. If you're a non-Christian, if you keep marching the way you're going, God's wrath will certainly come upon you sooner or later. At this point in Nineveh's juncture in their history, God chose to bring wrath against them. But when they changed... When they repented, when they, when they turned their wicked ways towards God and they got rid of their evil and their violence, God changed his stance towards them. He forgave them. And no matter where you've been, no matter where you are today, no matter where you've been walking, if you've gone down, down, down like Jonah into the depths because of your sin, if you turn, God will lift you up. God will restore you. God will save you. A well-lived life is lived in the presence of God. A well-lived life is, is lived in walking with the Lord, aligning our life with Him. If you've lived out of alignment with God, if you repent, turn towards Him, He will receive you again. He's the God of second chances and the God of 372nd chances. Grace, grace, grace. God's amazing grace. Receiving us again and again. And so Nineveh repents. And when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Um, so, we come to this juncture where a very moralistic sermon would go like this. Jeron, you've been sinning, haven't you? Yes, I have. Uh, Jeron, uh, the way to go forward is to repent. Okay, I, I repent. And, you know, if you repent, things are just going to be hunky-dory from now on. Look at the Ninevites. As Nineveh repented and they washed their hands of their sin and they got rid of their evil, so you, Jeron, should wash your hands and get rid of your evil and then everything's going to go right. but you know where I'm going next. We have a way of sinning even after repentance, don't we? We are a people that our repentance is often shallow and our repentance is often temporary. Our repentance oftentimes is not very, not very good. We live for a season in repentance, but then sin calls again, temptation comes again, and oh, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love, and I leave him again and again and again in small ways and sometimes big ways. And so we know what we must do, but we don't have the power to do it. We know what we must do to live right before God. And yet we try it again and again and again. And again and again and again we depart from the presence of God. Why do we do that? How is it that we live that way? A reflection from the Apostle Paul from Romans chapter 7. Maybe this is where you are today. Romans chapter 7 verse 14. Maybe this is what you feel today. 
Maybe the preacher's moralistic, just try harder sermon just isn't doing it for you. Romans 7, 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that is good, so now is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh, and I imagine um, the, the apostle maybe writing in this with tears in his eyes. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do, I, I do not, it's not, is what I want to, I want to keep on doing it. Not, now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. I, I want to repent. I want to get right with God. I, I want to get rid of my violence and my evil ways from, from Nineveh's perspective. But verse 22, for, for I, I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive of the law of sin that dwells within my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And so we're, we're stuck, we're kind of at, a, at, a, at an ending point in so many ways. We know what we should do. We should live righteously. We should repent. We shouldn't do sin any longer. And yet, we know our heart. We know our pattern. We know our weaknesses. We keep sinning when we shouldn't. What hope do we have? We should repent. We should turn from evil. No ifs, ands, or buts there. That's, the scripture's clear. Again and again, we should be a repentant people, a turning people, uh, coming under the reign of the king people, living under his ways and his precepts and his principles always. And yet, I can't. You've been there? Maybe you're there today. What should we do? Where should we go? I've never been able to live a perfectly repentant life, a perfect righteous life before my God. But I know someone who has. 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. <clears throat> My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, not only for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. At the end of my rope, at the end of my brokenness, at the end of my righteousness, where I can't live a righteous and holy life anymore, I can't make myself acceptable to God, I can't uh, attain that level it's, 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 not, it's a point where I, I say to myself, I just need to try harder. It's not like that, because I've tried harder my whole life, and so have you. 
the call of the Bible is not only to repent, but to trust in Jesus Christ. It's not only to repent, as the Ninevites did, but to put their faith in God's Son. Uh, Jesus Christ, this, this passage is loaded with so many lessons and so many principles, but He is the propitiation for our sins. Propitiation, what does that mean? An expiation means a cleansing. Okay, Some translations say an expiation of your sin means a cleansing of your sin. When Jesus went to that cross and He died on that cross, you put your faith in Jesus, there's a cleansing of sin. Praise God for that. But a propitiatory sacrifice, a propitiation, is a satisfaction of the wrath of God. When you trusted in Jesus Christ, if you haven't yet trusted in Jesus Christ, when you trust in Jesus Christ, guess what? God's wrath is diverted from you. Jesus paid for your sins. He cleansed you of your sins when He died on the cross. And the wrath of God came against Him because He had your sins upon Him. And so, our problem, our biggest problem is the wrath of God. And in our life, we tend to sin against, again and again. And, and this wrath problem continues. And this, this stance that God is against us continues. And we, even though we know His grace and His love, we feel it because we keep sinning. What's the solution the solution is to trust in Jesus Christ, the one who died in our place, the one who took our place, the one who received our sins, and our sins were punished in Jesus. The wrath of God came against Him, upon Him because of our sins. God's wrath is satisfied in Christ, and if you are in Christ, if you've trusted Christ, there is no more wrath against you. No more judgment for your sins. No more ruin in your life, ultimately set free. And not only that, it says that Jesus Christ is our advocate. Many of you, I don't know many of you, I shouldn't say that, I don't want to presume. Some of you have gone to court. Some of you have been accused of things, and it's great to have a defense attorney advocating for you before the court. Now, Jesus Christ, the one who we celebrated his, his breaking of his body and the pouring out of his blood, he paid for your sins already. And now, as an intercessor, as the mediator, he's before God as an, our advocate, saying, no, you, the Satan wants to accuse them. Satan wants to judge them. They're judging themselves. They're hating themselves. No, Father, Remember my sacrifice. Remember that the price has been paid. The docket is clear. There's no more red marks against them, no more black marks against them, however you want to say that. They're clean. The way forward, yeah, repent. But man, don't stop there. Trust in Jesus to save you. Turn to Him. And then once we're saved, you know, isn't it strange how after you come to know the grace of God and the forgiveness of God and the, and, and the love of God, how once you really own that and you accept it and you know who you are, your identity, you know that you're loved by God and you're, you're, you're in His family and His kingdom, isn't it strange how our motives change and our heart changes? It's like once I know that I'm loved, I don't have to sin anymore seeking for love. 
Once I know I'm accepted, I don't have to go out seeking sin or, or grasping or taking hold of things because I know I'm accepted. Or I, I know I'm wanted by God. I don't have to go seeking for it elsewhere. It just, once God's grace comes in, that's where we, depending not on ourselves, not on trying harder, that's where we can live for God and we can obey Him. Luke, would you please come for a second? And just, uh, we've, been, we've been putting this song out here quite a while, a while now for uh, the last few weeks. And uh, I'd just like you to process the words of this song and uh, God's heart for you and His heart for, that you would turn towards Him and you would, you would repent and trust in Him. And when He's uh, done with the song, I'm going to call you to faith in Jesus Christ. You can stay seated, you can stand and sing with me, but this is a song of repentance. Nineveh, oh Nineveh, the Lord is turning toward you. Compassion or calamity, will you heed the warning? Fall on your knees, tear down your idols, you choose surrender, you choose survival, call on his name, turn from your violence, out of the ashes, he will revive you. Oh God, have mercy. God have mercy. Let's take a second. If you've never trusted in Jesus as your Lord, this is the time to do that. If you've been far from him, running from him, this is the time to trust in Jesus as your Savior. It's the one who saves you from sin. I know you are a gracious God, I know you're slow to anger, but I misunderstood your love, forgive me God for running, oh you sent a wind, you stirred up the ocean, still I rebelled, my heart wasn't open. But when I prayed, you were there waiting. I made a vow to speak your salvation. Likewise, if you're a child of God, if you've been saved by God, but you've been running from him, this is a time that we can repent and uh, turn towards him. part be a prayer, prayer to God himself. Holy Spirit, help me see where there is Nineveh in me. Turn away your wrath once more. God, have mercy. 
prophet, priest, and king, Christ became the reckoning. In his body bore my sin. Now to all who trust in him, God has mercy. Oh, God have mercy. Bible says that all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. All who turn to the Lord in repentance and faith will be saved. We rescued and delivered. Once you turn to the Lord today, as Luke said, if you're a, if you're a believer, if you've been walking away from the Lord, God is gracious. He will welcome you home. If you're an unbeliever, if you haven't trusted in Jesus Christ, if you're not a Christian, now's your time to turn towards God. He's coming to you in mercy. He's coming to you wanting to save, wanting to deliver, wanting to rescue. Once you turn towards your, your God, once you seek forgiveness, once you seek His pardon, once you have faith in Him, you don't need to be under wrath anymore. You don't need to be under judgment anymore. You don't need to be far from God anymore. Come home. Trust in God. Trust in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Be saved. If there's anybody who would like to talk more about this after the service, I'll be down front. Some of the elders and deacons will too. Don't, don't stay where you are if you're far from God. Don't stay distant if you're distant from God. Come, repent and believe, and you will be saved. Oh God, we turn this service over to you. We turn this day over to you. We turn ourselves over to you. Thank you, God, for, uh, for your pardon, for your grace, for your love. Thank you for loving us and bringing us into your family. Thank you for calling our name and writing our name in your book of life. Thank you for regenerating us and opening up our, our, our life again. Praise you, Lord. We worship you. Be magnified the rest of this day. And may this day, uh, for the rest of the week, may we be your worshipers giving you glory and honor and praise for you are so good. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. The gospel according to the Bible is that Jesus Christ, who was and is the eternal God, took on human flesh, was born of a virgin, died for our sins on the cross, and rose from the dead three days later. He then ascended to the Father's right hand, where he sits making intercession for his people, and right now he is establishing the kingdom of God on earth. You can enter into a saving relationship with God by repenting of your sins and placing your full trust in Jesus' life, his death and resurrection on your behalf. In Christ you will find forgiveness, acceptance, freedom, peace, hope, and a future. If you would like more information about Christianity, or Living Water Bible Fellowship, visit our website at livingwateralamosa.org. God bless.